Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Well, it's been a long journey together, but we've been encouraged by God along the way. In this next week, we want to encourage you to pray for us as pastors and elders. We're going to be meeting to come up with a comprehensive plan as far as moving forward with uh, transitioning and reopening uh, for us to gather together again. We don't know when that will be, uh, but we're asking for you to pray for us, that we would have wisdom and uh, that we would have unity as we move forward. And Lord willing, we'll be together real soon. Uh, We covet your prayers, and let's also pray that we would have unity in this time. Uh, I know there's a variety of different opinions and convictions about uh, how we ought to navigate this issue, so please pray that we would be a unified church in moving forward together. So we've we've been on this journey uh, through this pandemic, but this this journey is part of a a bigger journey, and we've seen this in 1 Peter. Uh, We're on a journey, a heavenly journey, Uh, from suffering to glory. And so last week, uh, Pastor Josh told us about this journey and what we're to to learn on this journey. And now we're transitioning to how we ought to live. And so on this journey, so far we've seen that we live by hope. Uh, The theme is a living hope. And so we've seen so far that we're to live uh, in light of the hope that we have in Jesus, that we have this living hope, that we've been born again into this living hope, Uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so with this hope now out in front of us, uh, Peter turns the corner and says, I want you to live holy lives. I want you to live a holy life in light of the hope that you've been given in Jesus. Now, sometimes we get hung up on that word holy. We think, well, that's not me. I could never be holy. And yet we we fail to understand that, that holiness, to be holy, is not rooted in ourselves. It's rooted in God. Uh, Holiness is not about us uh, obeying all the rules and all the regulations and becoming super religious people. Holiness isn't about us. It's about Jesus and his work in us. Holiness is really rooted in the person of God. So let me show you what I mean by uh, just playing a little game. This is called the category game. And so kids, if you're out there, I invite you to participate, all of you, uh, with me, okay? So these words are all going to have a category to go along with it. So your, your job is to guess what category it fits in. So here's the first one. So red is a, red is a what? It's a, it's a color, right? So red has the category of color. So here's the next one. Seven is a, of course we know, seven is a, is a number. So hopefully you're playing along now. Here's the next one. Oak is a, what's oak? It's a, it's a tree right? It's a tree. These are pretty easy so far. Poodle is a, it's a dog, right? It's a dog. Here's the next one. Earth. Earth is a, what category? Well, of course, you know it's a planet, right? Next one. Milky Way is a, it's a galaxy. Some of you said candy bar, and you would also be right and hungry. Next one. Gabriel in the Bible is an angel, right? Gabriel's an angel. Last one. God is a, 
Now, what do we, what do we put in the blank for God? What, what category does he fit into? Well, the answer is none. There's, there is no one like God. He's in a class all by himself. He doesn't have a category that he fits into because God is holy. And that word means that he is utterly distinct from us. He is, he is utterly distinct and unique. There is no one like our God, like we sang today. No one. And yet, the strange thing about this text that we're going to see here is that he tells us that he wants us to be holy as he is holy. And so, what does that look like? How are we to be holy and why? Why does that matter? Why should we be motivated to be holy like he is holy? And so with that in mind, hey, I want you to get out your Bible. And so if you need to pause me right now and go and get your Bible, go ahead and do that. We're going to dig into 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 13. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so, the main point that I want to draw out today from this text is this. On this heavenly journey, we're called to be holy. So as we make our way on this heavenly journey from suffering to glory, we're called to be holy. And so, so two questions then. How? How do we live a holy life? And then why? Why should we live a holy life? And so we're just going to take those one at a time. How then do we live a holy life? Well, first we see by putting our hope in the right place. By putting our hope in the right place. Look at verse 13 again with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're to set our hope fully in the right place. And that right place is His grace. We don't put our hope in our circumstances or in ourselves. If we do so, our hope is going to run dry real quickly, right? Some of you right now are, are running on E, all right? Your hope tank is empty because you're putting your hope in the wrong place. We can't put it in ourselves. We can't put it in our circumstances. We must put it in our salvation, in God's grace, both his past grace and his future grace. Look at verse 13 again and how it begins. He says, therefore. Now we've got to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. And this is an important word in Scripture. This is a turning point in the book of 1 Peter. What he's saying here is that based upon everything I've said so far, you're to live now a holy life. On the basis of all of what God has done for you in Jesus, now live a life of holiness. 
So what has he done for us? Well, we look in the, the preceding verses and we see that he has given us great mercy and caused us to be born again to a living hope. This is not based upon our good deeds. This is his great mercy that we were made alive together with Christ. We have a new life, a new heart, and it's now bursting with hope, this living hope in Jesus through the resurrection from the dead. And so based upon that grace, we can now set our hope fully upon him and live holy lives. It's important that we get the order right here. So Peter doesn't begin by saying, hey, I want you to live a holy life. He's saying on the basis of what God has done for you in Jesus, you now can live a holy life. It's the indicative followed by the imperative in Scripture. We see that over and over and over again. If we don't get that right, we will live a life of frustration, right? Trying to obey these commands and, and, and trying to live a life pleasing to God and yet we lose sight of what Jesus has done for us that enables us to live this life of holiness. And so we look at his past grace, but we don't stop there. We also look at his future grace. In verse 13 it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so there is a grace coming to us when Christ returns. This grace, this grace is so rich. Ephesians 2, 7 says that he might show us the insurpassable, this, this, these riches that are, that are so hard for him even to explain that are coming to us in Christ Jesus. And so one day we'll be united with Christ. He will come again and we will enjoy these heavenly riches forever and ever. And so we look to that hope that's coming to us one day to finally be united to Christ. And so we set our hope fully on this grace. We put our hope in the right place. We hope fully, especially when we feel empty. We need to run to uh, the past and what God has done for us in Jesus and run to uh, the future and what he will do one day for us when he returns. Now, how does that work out though? Like, how do we put our hope in the right place? He gives us two like kind of modifying phrases here in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So this is how we set our hope fully on this grace. We've got to prepare our minds for action. Now, literally in the Greek language, this means to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I'm guessing that not many of us have girded up our loins lately. Right? But what, what this means is, is that back then, in these biblical times, they would wear these long robes. And they would actually take their robes and, and bring them up and tie them around their waist to get ready to run. Now, Peter, of all people, I think experienced this. Do you remember when he raced to the empty tomb? He was racing along with John. I'm sure he probably girded up, right? Girded up his loins in order to get ready to run even though he lost in the foot race to John because John was a bit younger than Peter. And so what he's saying here is that you've got to be serious about thinking actively during this time. That on this heavenly journey, you've got to think actively. You've got to engage your mind. You've got to think intentionally, all right? And what this looks like in practice, uh, we are in a time where it's easy to have an inactive mind, right? We're kind of sluggish, um, sometimes pretty tired and weary, 
And so our minds can often feel the same way. And so what this looks like is we've got to prepare our minds for action by having a plan. Maybe in the morning, just setting aside some time right away out of the gate to say, I want to prepare my mind for action, for what God's going to show me today. Right? I want to get into the Word. I want, to, I want to just read a portion of God's Word and Scripture, and I'm going to write some things down. I'm going to seek Him in prayer to, to fuel my heart to hope in Him. But it's not just the quiet time, and then we move on with the rest of our day. It's moment by moment by moment preparing our minds for action. It's, it's, it's being prepared and getting our minds ready to engage even other people and our family, right? Are we ready to listen and to love and to share and to serve? Right? So often we got our eyes on our phones that we're not even ready. Our minds aren't even ready to engage other people. And so we got to prepare our minds for action. We also got to have sober-mindedness. He says, be sober-minded. So this all starts in the mind, sober-minded. In some ways, we could say that he's referring to, let's don't get intoxicated. Let's think clearly, all right? And just a side note, I saw recently this statistic uh, kind of saddened me that over the course of this pandemic, uh, the, the alcohol sales have risen 300%. And so a lot of people are running to the refuge of alcohol to find their hope. And of course, it's, it's leaving them more and more empty. And we've got to be watchful, right? We've got to be vigilant in this time because we're more stressed. Uh, some of us are more lonely. Uh, some of us are bored. And so the enemy can come in in those times where we're just not active in our minds and give us a temptation. This is why it says later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, be, be on guard, be sober-minded. Your adversary, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we've got to be ready for him. We've got to have our minds active uh, and, and clear and thinking about the hope that we have in Jesus. This is the, the way it starts. It's in our minds as we, as we think about being holy. It starts right there. And so Peter says, how do we live a holy life? It starts by putting our hope in the right place. Secondly, it's by living as God's obedient children. By living as God's obedient children. Look at verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so he calls us to be who we are as obedient children. Now, when it comes to living a life of holiness, it starts with us being adopted into God's family through Jesus. And so let's don't assume that that's all of us. We're not all children of God because of our natural birth. No, we become children of God through our spiritual birth, by being born again, by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. We're now brought into the family of God. We have a new family. We've got a new father, and we've got this new identity. He now calls us children of God. What an amazing privilege to be his children. He could have just saved us and forgiven us, but no, he's brought us into, our family, into his family, and we're, we're close and dear to him as his children. That's our identity, and out of that identity flows our activity, right? Who you are shapes what you do. And so it's not just that we are children in name only. It's that we actually live like it. 
We live like we're children of God by being obedient to God. I thought of this with my son, Luke. Uh, I gave him uh, my first name as his middle name, and that uh, is kind of carrying on the tradition from my dad and his dad. And so it's kind of neat to pass on that name. Um, so he's got the middle name Douglas, and uh, it's, it's kind of cool to think about that. But, but even more than a name, right, I, I'd love to pass on to my son and my kids um, just this, this character, right? This, this character that's, that's because of Jesus and his work in my life and to imitate my example. Now, I know that as a dad, there are many things I don't want him to imitate, right? And this is where I need Jesus and, and, and my son needs Jesus and, and he's the hero in our family. But here, what he's saying here is you've got a new identity. You are children. You, you ought to be marked by obedience, by being holy as your father is holy, to imitate his example. So that's positively, uh, live as obedient children. And then he says negatively, in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So, so what does that mean? Don't be conformed. Some of you remember in Romans 12 where he says, Paul says the same thing, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this conformity, He's, he's saying, don't go back. Don't, don't slip back into your old way of life. Hey, you used to be ignorant then. You didn't know any better. Your eyes weren't open to the truth. They were blinded by your sin and by the devil himself. But now you've got a new heart, a new identity, and live that way. Don't slip back into your old way of life. You know, Peter, uh, if you remember, when Jesus called him, his name was Simon. And he gave him this new name. I'm going to name you Peter. And yet, every time, it seems, when, when Peter began to act like his old self, Jesus addresses him as Simon. Simon, Simon. Almost signaling to Peter, hey, wait a second, you're slipping back into your old way of life. And Jesus is saying, I've saved you. I've given you a new name. Live. Live in that. Live in that reality of who you really are now. And so, just by way of review, how do we live a holy life? By putting our hope in the right place and by living as God's obedient children. So, so now we ask the question, why? So what? So, so why? Why should we live a holy life? What, what's the motivation behind that? And he gives us two reasons. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so the first reason why we should live a holy life is because we fear our Father's discipline. Now, this is, this is a hard word, I have to admit. When I, when I read this again, uh, I thought, wow, that is, that's a hard word to land on us, to conduct yourselves with fear. But we've got to remember that this is not fear that makes us cower before our Heavenly Father. This is a reverential fear. This is a healthy respect for our Father in heaven. And so often is the case when we think about the picture of God in our minds, like what comes into your mind when we think about God, we get this picture of this soft grandfather in the sky that just is ready to give us a handout whenever we need help. It's kind of there at a distance, you know, safe distance away from us. But hey, when we need him to bail us out, when we're in a pinch, he's, he's there for us. He's, he's rather nice. And others of us can sometimes view God as kind of our own personal shopper. You know, like, hey, 
Whatever I want, I'm going to call up to you in prayer and deliver what I want to my door now. Still others of us, when we think about God, the picture of God in our mind, we've got this picture of a cosmic crazy police officer. That's just waiting to where we're going to sin and is waiting to catch us in it. Like at the slightest infraction, he's going to pull us over and snab us because of our sin. And those are just not right biblical pictures of God. Here we see that he is our father and he's our judge. He judges us impartially according to each one's deeds. So we will have to give an account to God, our father, and judge one day, all of us, in the way we've lived our lives. And so when we think about God as our father and and God as our judge, Do we really want to run away from him in our sin? Do we really want to run back to our old way of life? Do we really want to run in that moment away from him? Makes me think of this uh, story, this illustration John Piper shares about his son. Back when his son was eight years old, they were visiting another family, and this family had a huge dog. Now, some of you, I know, have huge dogs in your home. So this family had this huge dog. They were outside, and they were getting ready to leave. And this young boy, about eight years old, just runs back to the car. Well, as he's running, this huge dog comes running after him, and it scares him, right? And the owner yells out and says, stop, don't run. And he says, referring to his dog, he doesn't like it when people run away from him. He likes it when you walk right beside him. And that's a picture of our Heavenly Father. He doesn't like it when we try to run away from him in our sin going back to our old way of life, he will pursue us. And out of his love, he will discipline us because he cares about us deeply. He doesn't want us to run away from him. No, he wants us to just walk right beside him. Even when we sin, he is tender with us. I just even picture him like with his arm around us. Jesus just, hey, I'm here. We'll work this out. You just stay right beside me. Don't run away from me. Run back to me. Our Father is our protector and our friend, and he will walk with us all the way to the end of this journey. And so, first reason, why should we live a holy life? Because we fear our Father's discipline. And then secondly, because we know that we've been ransomed. We've been ransomed. Look at verses 18 to 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so ultimately, the reason why we live a life of holiness is because of the blood of Jesus. Think about this for a minute. The cost of the blood of Christ. There is nothing more valuable than the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't cheapen the blood of Jesus by running away from God in your sin and thinking, oh, I've been forgiven. It's fine. He still loves me. Don't 
cheapen the cost of the blood of Christ on your behalf. And realize this, there is nothing that could save you other than the blood of the Lamb. Nothing else could save you and redeem you but the blood of Christ. And if you're a Christian today, he has freed you from your sinful lifestyle. So why do you want to run back to it again? He's already freed you from that. You're forgiven. You're made new. You can walk now in this freedom as a child of God. Think about how much he loves you. That he would be willing to die on a cross for you and to take the punishment you deserve for your sin. Contemplate the cross for just a moment with me as we close. When we feel like in this time, maybe, hey, does God love me? You know, why is all of this happening in my life? And you know what? I've, I feel like I'm a failure. I just haven't done what I thought I would do during this pandemic. And I don't know. God's posture toward me must be just giving me this stiff arm. Hey, listen, you can have an objective truth today that Jesus does love you. Scripture says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. He loves you. The cross proves it. He showed how much he truly loves you. And so on this heavenly journey, we're called to be holy. We are. We're called to be holy. And yet, reality, we're going to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to falter. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says right here. He says, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. Some of you think, well, God is so hard. I don't know if I can go back to him. I don't know if I can live this life of holiness if he's a hard God to please. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I beat on my chest to think that I could have ever rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. He's not holding out the stiff arm. He is not some crazy cosmic police officer. He is tender with you. In fact, Jesus says in John 6, all who come to me, I will never cast out. All who come to me sincerely, I will never cast out. That includes all of us today, even those of you who may think, I have fallen too hard, too far. There's no way that Jesus would ever receive me. He will. If you come to him in faith, if you come to him just as you are, he will not cast you out. He will receive you. He will love you, embrace you, and he'll put a new heart in you by his spirit and you will live a holy life all the way from suffering to glory. And one day, you'll be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has done all the work on our behalf, dying the death that we deserve, rising again from the grave, living a life of holiness. And now through the cross, through the precious blood of the lamb, we can be forgiven of our sins and be given a new life.
a new identity as children of God. And out of that new identity, we can, we can live lives of holiness. And Father, we, f- we will fail, we will falter along the way, and yet we know that we have a Savior who continues to plead on our behalf to intercede for us, even now, and gives us a heart that continues to grow more and more holy until that day we will finally be with him forever. We thank you. Thank you for your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.